Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Female Footballers Podcast. We just wanted to give you a huge shout and say thanks so much for your support. If you like what you're hearing, please be helpful and share it on either your social platforms or by word of mouth. And if you're interested in telling your story or sharing something interesting with us, we'd love to hear from more people, get your story out and have you on the podcast. Shoot us an email at cassie at femalefootballers.org and we'll get it set up. Thanks again. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray. I'm your host and the founder and director of Female Footballers. Today, I'm joined with three of our staff members. We have Rachel Thomas. Go ahead and say hi. Hi. Rachel Mercik. Go ahead and say hi. Hi. And Louise Arsenal. Go ahead and say hi. Hey. We want to make sure you can at least distinguish their voices a little bit. Today, we're super stoked because this week, the Olympics in Tokyo start, and uh, we just wanted to have a little combo about what we think might happen, uh, the things we're excited about. So uh, without further ado, you guys, what are you thinking when it comes to the Olympics? Rach, you just mentioned something before we started recording. Go ahead. Yeah, um, this Olympics, we have the most uh, female athletes uh, for the U.S. playing and uh, more than the men. I forget exactly what the statistic is, but there are more female athletes um, for Team USA than men this Olympics, which is super oh, yeah. Exciting. Um, yeah, exciting. and I think, you know, obviously Team USA is, uh, is expected to do well in this tournament and go far, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle um this olympics in particular with uh with the expectation and then being in a bubble um and i know it's it's very strict at least what i've seen from players posting you know they get their certain amount of time outside which is very limited and um they are very bubbled in what they can do and where they can go and for how long yeah, I was thinking about the players, you know, the roster, and I don't know about you guys, if you had any surprise people that you thought wouldn't be there or would be there. For me, the one that I worried the most about was probably Ashlyn Harris, and not because I thought she'd get a ton of time as a backup goalkeeper, but that camaraderie when you're in a bubble really plays a role in in just the team vibes, and I think like the team vibes of the 2019 World Cup, they were just so good that when you change any of those players, it could really alter that. That's like worrisome. But at the same time, I'm not familiar with all the different additions. So what are your guys' thoughts on that too? When you're in the bubble, you know, the players that make that up. I mean, I, I'm still interested as to why Ashlyn and Allie were kind of dropped. I don't, I think a lot of people are a little bit um, maybe confused, but I don't know. I think they've got a really great leadership group. Like I think it's a multi, you know, multitude of different individuals that really kind of take control and kind of add to that. Also, I feel like they all have, there's like these, you know, like Sam Mewis and Rose and Lindsay, they kind of have this like comedic, you know, vibe with the team. So I, I'm not worried too much about that. I think, um, it's more so just going to be 
you're in a bubble again, which I know with the NWSL last year, the bubble, it went well, but I think a lot of the girls were a little bit like, you know, the bubble system is tough. So I don't know. I, um, I'm not too worried about the vibes. I think what's mainly going to be the most, um, challenge is just the schedule of the Olympics as well as like kind of it's such a fast tournament. So I don't know. It's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. For me, the the intricacies of that, I haven't really put a lot of thought into it in terms of like um, who made the roster. I was surprised that um, Kuduri and obviously Harris did not make uh, the roster, but I'm just interested to see because this is the first, they're setting precedent in, in doing this 2020 Olympics in this pandemic time, right? Yeah, there's the bubble. Yeah, there's all these things, but like I feel like for me, seeing the return to play, I am excited. I mean, we've been, you know, away from watching, well, it's, things are starting to reopen a little bit now, but we've been away from watching, you know, uh, Olympics and big, big competitions. So I'm really, really excited to just see how they perform because everybody had to deal with the pandemic in different ways. You know, we've talked about mental health throughout those, um, um, those times. So how can we come back as a team in a bubble and, and perform at a capacity where we are, you know, in a space where we're ready to be there mentally with all these new rules, already the pressure of being in the Olympics is something, but now there's all these added layers of, um, you know, intricacies and difficulties that they have to overcome. So I'm really, really looking forward to see how they gel and how they perform and just how they deal with, deal with all of this. Right. So it's an interesting space and time to be in for sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, I'm going to throw a little wrench in everything because my mind's been here for a few years is the men's Olympics tournament is U23. So it's a developmental tournament. And I'm wondering what you guys think about, you know, there was an article that actually recently came out on Twitter. I didn't get a chance to read it. Read it. I think it was on the equalizer and it was like, have, has the U S women's national team surpassed the Olympics? Is it too small? For the Olympics, should we be moving into the U23 or a U21 tournament um, and making it a developmental side? I don't know. I mean, I, I was, I personally feel like it would be great to get the girls that are coming up, you know, getting more recognition, not only one, but two, having a, you know, real life tournament experience. Um, but I don't know, because the men's been doing that for a while. So I don't know if it's like maybe time for the women to do it. Can I ask why, why do they do that? I should know this. My husband was on the qualifying U23s when he was about to go. They didn't make it the year he was playing, but why do they do that? Um, I'm going to just kind of throw out an educated guess just because I don't necessarily know the exact reason. I would assume because um, it may or some, maybe it was from the beginning it started. Um, but honestly, it's probably because of the de developmental reasons, I would assume. And also because the men's side, you know, we have such, uh, there's a lot of tournaments, there's a lot of games. Um, and right now the men, you know, their leagues, let's say the, the Premier League or Italian League, whatever in Europe, it's a lot of games. And we didn't have that for a long time. And so the women were, had to use this as a way to continue playing. Um, but the men have such a long and arduous what do you call a league system? I mean, a lot of the uh, coaches are coming out, Pep, um, you know, Jurgen Klopp, they've all said, hey, we this is too much. It's too much soccer. Like we need to cut down somehow. So I don't think the women's side has really had that issue for a long time. So, um, but I think because the NWSL is doing well, because all the European leagues are doing amazing, 
you know, it's like, okay, is it time for us to start moving into more of a de developmental side? And I'm not even saying just for the U.S. because the U.S. has a, you know, good U.S. program where we're getting U23 games, U21. But I don't know if a lot of the European teams have that necessarily. I don't know what camps look like. Um, in England, I know that they have their own sides um, that are for the youth, but I don't know how, how, what their developmental side looks like. So I don't know. I, that would be my best educated guess. Again, I have, I do not know the history on that. So. Yeah, I do know that the, the U.S. or the, the Olympic women's soccer in the Olympics started in 1996. So it's, it's pretty young as an yeah. sport. Um, but I, it is an interesting you know, thought of when, when is that turn? Um, mm -hmm. I, I saw that same headline, Merce, about has the, the, uh, specifically the U S women's national team outgrown the Olympics. Yeah. Um, and I do think, you know, like you said, your educated guests, you know, there's so many big tournaments, well, obviously the world cup, which the women have as well now. Um, but the euros and Copa America, you know, there's some, some big time tournaments, um, and so maybe that's why the men's, you know, has, has moved to the U23s. And, and I think potentially the women's could, could go that way. And if we look at the, you know, the values of the Olympics, you know, it's, it's amateur athletes, right? Or yeah. it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be, yeah. Um, and there's just, and, and then when you look at the other sports, you know, gymnastics specifically comes to mind and swimming and track and field, these, they have, you know, there are world champions, championships and things like that, but the Olympics are, are their biggest stage. Um, at least in, in the eyes of someone who's not a, uh, I don't follow gymnastics, you know, all the time sort of thing. But when the, when the Olympics come, I am, I love it. Right. I can't wait to watch gymnastics. Mm -hmm. So, whereas with soccer, it's like, well, we had the world cup, you know, we have these, these different tournaments. So I, I think it will be interesting, especially over the next, uh, you know, 12 years, I guess, more, three more cycles of, of Olympics on, on what happens in this tournament may show us some some of that, you know, and the fact that only, I don't know how, what is it? It's, it's not, it's a much smaller tournament in terms of how many teams actually get to qualify and play yeah. because yeah. the Olympics is so short, right? It's only a two week window as opposed to a world cup that's gonna be over the course of a month. Yeah, super interesting. Also, you made me think of, if you guys haven't watched the 96 effect on Peacock, you should definitely watch it. It's, it's all about the 96 Olympics and how that was like the first Olympics. And honestly, I was in high school. I just started high school then. And I had no idea that that was our first Olympics uh, for the national team. And I think it's each episode is like a different focus on a women's team. So one of them's uh, gymnastics, one's softball, one's basketball, one is soccer. I want to say it's episode two or three is soccer. And it was um, so good. Like it pumped me up. So if anyone's needing a little pump up for the Olympics before it starts this week, definitely watch that because it definitely it got me all jazzed for sure <laughs> so the u.s soccer tournament started in 96 or women women's soccer in the olympics started okay. in 96 and the and the u.s won it um and went on to win in 2000 as well um 2004 two, and then 2016 was when they missed out on a medal wasn't mm. 11 did they win on 11 12 in London. 12, 12. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was Alex's first. Okay. Um, yeah, this is going to be really interesting. And um, I, I don't know about you guys. Have any of you been to Tokyo? 
No, I would. I, I got to go to Tokyo in I high wish. school for soccer. And um, I went on this like random tournament, Cal uh, North something or other. And we got to go to this place called Kusatsu. And it was in like this hot springs mountain region of, of Japan. And then we spent like four days in Tokyo or something like that. And I have to say like, the culture is so different from America and like, it's so disciplined and formal and just a really neat, neat place to play. When we played, we played on dirt fields and I know obviously they're gonna have amazing facilities, but like just very different, you know, the food was very, I, I was like 16 at the time and did not appreciate good Japanese food. Um, pretty much ate rice and like haagen out of the machine every day. So it was really bad. But oh we did like God. this like traditional dinner where we had to wear yukatos and sit on the floor and we had to learn different phrases um, and have like a traditional Japanese meal and everything had its heads on it. And I just remember being like this young high school girl that just had never really traveled and was like, what is going on? So I made me think of that <laughs> trip when that some of the girls have been posting, you know, like their experience in the village and um, the foods and the beds and all these types of things. And I'm like, gosh, it's such a difference when, when you're in a world cup compared to an Olympics and you're in these bubbles, like you guys were talking about, like, I, I do think that plays a larger role maybe than it should, but definitely plays a larger role in their overall um, performance and appearance and all of that. Yeah, um, I know, I think it was Christine Lewis talked about that because I think she played in Japan for a little bit and, and her, her has a very fond experience there. So she was really excited going back. Um, I think it also will be really interesting for these players to, um, what they're in their bubble, of course, and the, the whole like, you know, Olympic village. I remember when I was in college and some of the Olympians I knew and when they came back from Sydney, how like the village was, you know what they talked about they um it was some softball players for australia and things like that and it, you know they had done fairly well but they their tournament ended or they you know lost and so then they just spent time in the village and you know it is party central and um with the best athletes in the world and um that is just not going to be the same this year and so uh especially for the 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 girls or the women who are um this is their uh, a second or even third Olympic for them and the feel compared to the other ones. Um, I know everybody, we all went through a obviously a collective experience uh, with the pandemic. So it's not like it's just one person who's having this different experience, but um, it, it is gonna be interesting um, how their, what their perspective is of this particular Olympic games. Yeah. Where's this, the host? It's, it's the village is in Tokyo. I think I'm pretty All sure. All the footage I've seen, it looks very um, urban. Like they're in a, you know, um, which is also different, I feel like. Um, yeah. In the heart of the city, which seems different than, I, I'm not as familiar with every Olympics or anything like that, but even Julie Foudy was posting for 15 minutes, she gets to get out of the a hotel and go somewhere or whatnot, but they're just under very strict, um, rules and certain yeah they, they do get to travel though but yeah true um but as far as the um the games go we have what sweden up first what do you guys think about that that's going to be to me our toughest competition in our in our bracket well i mean it'll be tough on the soccer field as well but i think you know sweden and the u.s have kind of created a um a little bit of a rivalry 
you know, especially from the past Olympics. So, and all the, you know, hustle and bustle that was around that. So, um, I don't know. I, I am excited to see how they do, especially it being the first game. Um, but Sweden, like they've, they've got a great squad and they've continued to just get better and bring in players that are, that are changing the game. So, I mean, Sweden, uh, then they've got New Zealand, right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Aussies. So I think the Australia game will also be, I mean, New Zealand also, I mean, all these, all three teams are going to be different challenges for the U S. Um, but again, I, I'm, I am excited personally for Sweden just because of all of the, especially if it like, you know, if they meet again in the quarters or something, I don't know if that's possible. Again, I have to kind of look at the bracket, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be, uh, I'm excited. I I think it's fun that it's the first game for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and not this sort of, you know, I, I'm just thinking as a player, how I would feel, I would, I would be happy that Sweden was my first game and not our third game. True. true. Um, Just to like, you're so chomping at the bit. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to watch Katarina um, Macario play. Uh, I've, she she played at Stanford which obviously I'm a bear but I um live close to Stanford and have and watched her you know in person collegiately and was always just so impressed of course I mean she's just an incredible player and um what she's going to add to this team or and has shown us but then obviously she had she wasn't able to be at some of the stuff because of quarantine stuff or protocol things but uh yeah so I'm excited to watch her um, and then just watch this this unique group come together um, in this in this bubble. <laughs> yeah, and how, I'm curious. How I'm curious too to see how Watko kind of changes things up with the new rules. Like mm-hmm. I hope that he utilizes that um, because I think it's a great idea. Like having these four, you know, they used to be kind of girls that were kind of on the side they were there but you know making sure that if it was mainly if someone got hurt right um if you can change your 18 every game are you kind of utilizing what each you know whatever your competitor is you know and using your strengths um for that competition it's like okay are they going to bring in Katarina and or Casey or whoever it is that they need um, for a midweek, you know, for the New Zealand game or the Australia game, or will they start with the eight? I'm assuming he'll start with the 18 that he chose for the beginning, but I don't know. I feel like having a a bigger roster size will allow him to kind of play around with some stuff. So I'm hoping to see Katarina as well. Um, so yeah, different Olympics for sure. Yeah. One of my thoughts and questions was, um, the mental side obviously that's what we do and uh you know they already I want to say it was a women's basketball player a couple days ago just uh mentioned how she's out it, she's not in a good mental space I, I don't know about you guys but I just watched the Naomi Osaka documentary on Friday night when it came out about just the mentality going into competitions like this and uh I was doing a little bit of research and saw that in the 2016 Olympics for the United States we had eight sports psychologists on hand for 555 athletes. And I'm really curious about how many um, just sort of mental health that they have, if it's different, especially going through COVID. Um, I haven't really been able to find a ton of info 
in general about the United States is that um, oftentimes the U.S. Women's National Team has their own sports psychologist that they have with them. But just, you know, just curious, like just the mental preparation that goes into this once you're there, how often they're meeting with somebody, how much they're meeting as a group and a team, and then how much individual mental preparation they get with somebody like that. That would be interesting. And I don't feel like it's easy to find info about this kind of stuff, but I feel like it's necessary to know um, just because it's such a big part of sport. And the Naomi Osaka documentary really shows, um, if you guys haven't seen it, I definitely recommend watching it, but it's on Netflix, but um, it's just three episode series, docu-series, but just the level of how much mentality plays a role in this level of sports and why that's not reported more about what these athletes, you know, we hear a lot about like the beds they sleep on and the food they eat. And it's like, how are we not hearing about like, the mental preparation or the mental health help they get in this kind of situation. It irritates me. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, listening uh, to the Just Women's Sport, uh, Just Women's Sports podcast, and um, I'm forgetting and blanking her name. An ESPN reporter was actually interviewing Kelly O'Hara about her preparations, and and I th- I found it interesting because she asked Kelly about the team and their sports psychologists and, th- and and Kelly was like, no, we don't really, we used to, but now we don't. So I, I don't know what the national team, but she did say, Kelly did say lots of girls have their own personal. So I thought that was interesting because as we know, there's certainly the individual and, and soccer is a team sport. So you have to be individually prepared, but you also have to be prepared as a team. And those are two very different and very important things to address but one thing Kelly did talk about was the they were the reason they had their camp in Connecticut their pre-olympics camp there is because I guess the University of Connecticut has a heat lab and they would go into this lab and it was a hot room and it had like treadmills and maybe some bikes or I don't it had some some machines and they had to either take this pill before or they had to use a rectal thermometer to, to see what their internal um, temperature was. And they had to get it to a certain temperature and then they had to stay in there for an hour. And it was this training to prepare their bodies for the heat that they're gonna be facing while they're in Tokyo. And I was like, wow, <laughs> like, cause that's, that's obviously a physical thing they're preparing for, but that is a mental thing too, like to deal with that heat. And I just found it so interesting that they were utilizing that, you know? Um, I also don't know how early previously for previous Olympics teams have gone, but it seems like the U S only, they only went like a week ago. Right. So they were earlier than other teams that looked like they were there before Canada they were there before New Zealand they were before Australia like yeah so I don't know how that also affects the the you know um preparation and also because in soccer they obviously they have their three games and then depending on where they go um or if they move on, they'll move to different cities. Whereas if you're a swimmer or a track or gymnastics athlete, you're going to be in one place um, the whole time. So anyway. Very, anyway, we have the time difference too. So I think that might be another reason why they go a little bit earlier than some of the other countries, but that's an interesting little fact, little uh, factoid about that Kelly kind of brought up, which, cause I always wonder, about stuff like that so the fact that they went to Connecticut I was wondering why I was in Connecticut 
I really was. I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, I thought maybe they would, you know, play Mexico a little bit closer, but, um, you know, so interesting, very interesting. I think too, oh, go ahead, Cass. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, when it comes to psychologically, like, you know, the fact that you said that last Olympics, there were eight, you know, um, psychologists there for 500 plus athletes, you know, whenever I did mental work on my teams, whether it be, you know, college club or, or professional, it was always someone that kind of had a background in obviously a very good background in psychology and possibly sports psychology. But the people that I always resonated the most with were ones that, that knew soccer, that knew footy, that could use trigger words for us that I could relate to. And um, I wonder if maybe that's kind of the reason why a lot of these girls have individual psychologists because these psychologists are probably getting paid to specifically know about the sport of soccer and what you need to know about a 90 minute game or overtime is however long. And in Europe, it was a lot easier for us to find psychologists that knew soccer because it's, you know, life over there. But, um, you know, I always had these team functions and they were kind of forced. And I agree with the forcing because I personally was not a player that seeked out um, mental skills trainings on my own. And I now, you know, see the benefit in that. And I'm trying to obviously through female footballers teach other girls that it's important to do young, but you know, the people that, that just came and said, Hey, you've got to, you've got to make sure that you're ready for the game like this or ready for the competition. I just felt like it didn't relate as much as someone saying, Hey, look, you've got to like, there's these five minute spurts in the game. How are we going to practice that? These five minute, you know, after a goal, after a um, goal that you score or get scored on the five minutes after halftime, the last five minutes of the 90, you know, 85 to 90 minutes. How do you, how are you reacting? How are we training that? How are we practicing that? Um, what are your confidence levels? You know, that kind of stuff. So I'm wondering if that's maybe the reason why, but also the fact that they have eight and, you know, they were barely used potentially is probably because they can't relate to every sport. I mean, you have so many different sports. Are they going to be versing in every single like okay we have curling we have track and field we've got all this swimming i maybe that's their job i don't know but are they going to be experts in each sport probably not so i do think the one thing i think is interesting and i don't know this so hopefully i think the the frustrating thing to me is not about a lack of or if they have it it's the lack of reporting on it we mm. hear like you get to hear that they're physically you know, in the World Cup, for example, they're testing their period stuff and they're tracking all of that. And we know there's several different companies they attach devices to to track all of the different stats for their physical health, their technical skill. We hear about all of this kind of stuff. And I think my biggest issue, and I feel like I'm always super negative on this, I don't need to be, but like, I'm critical because I just feel like there needs to be more reported on it. But like, maybe it's also because they don't want to give away what we're doing to the world before our competitions, but at least after the Olympics, it'd be great to hear what type of mental preparations as a team that they did. Cause yes, I'm sure each girl has their own individual person. I know like, for example, Ali Long was going to Dan Abraham's um, for a long time. And, and uh, you know, it's great that they have that, but like as a team, the 96 women had Pauline Hacker, like 
and it came out later, like all the different things that, that she did for the team. And it's like, I think we need to hear more about this to normalize that this is a part of this level of competition and that these girls, if they do all have individual sports, like, then, then we need to hear about it so that younger girls realize this is a part of the game that needs to be normalized at younger ages because if you want to play at that level, you have to be in that mental space. You have to be at that level mentally to play. And certain girls on their own social medias, like Carly Lloyd is always posting stuff about the mentality needed to play at the high level. But like, I just wish that like US soccer would do a better job of talking about the resources they provide to the team in a mental space, because that would help the youth levels maybe see that this is just as important as tracking your stats on corner kicks or you know like stupid stuff like that so I don't know I feel like I'm always like the devil's advocate like angry negative person which I don't mean to be but I think I'm just trying to be more of an advocate for like let's normalize this a little bit especially when this is the most one of the most famous competitions for our sport in the world and we don't hear enough about what it takes to play at that level in a mental capacity so Instead, we hear about the mental breakdowns that athletes have, whether it's before or after the competitions and the tournament. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But like, you know, you it's like the Naomi Osaka thing. It, it bothers me that people are like surprised that a player like her is gonna have these moments. Of course they are. If yeah. they're not having it before or during, they're having it after with athletic identity issues like Michael Phelps and, and Abby Wambach. And I mean, there's, it's, it's inevitable. So it's like, talk about what they're going through now or talk about what we're doing for them beforehand, you know? And, uh, and, and like you said, to normalize, really to normalize the, the human that they are because totally. the, it will end, you know, they, they have been given this great gift and have worked incredibly hard to get to the levels they're at. But in, at the end of the day, you know, it's, that's, go, they're, they're not going to be able to do that forever and they and they are humans and and how to best support that um it, it is a really interesting uh topic that's not discussed i i agree not enough um and hopefully you know i think that fortunately this generation with naomi especially um we are hearing more about this and and you know the for every like with Abby's story and now Naomi and even like you mentioned Michael Phelps, those are those are you know some of the best athletes ever in their sport and and so many other athletes who don't even make it to you know they only played in high school and then now they're done playing and like what do they do now their like you're talking about their athletic identity and and if we can help them understand that all the like this is helping you or these is giving you these skills or helping you build these skills for post-athletic life, post-highly competitive athletic life, I should say, because I'm still an athlete, even though I don't play at high levels. Um, I still love to play all the time, but uh, you know, how, how, how that transformation goes, um, because we, we all face that, you know, you all face the time, like, okay, I can't do that anymore. Or, because of whatever reason, physical or mental or, or, or whatever's happening, you know? Well, and we hear about it after. And like Shikari Richardson is a perfect example of, of something like this. If you're not familiar, she's the, the track and field sprinter who competed and qualified for the Olympics and then was found later with uh, marijuana in her system. 
came out that she was she did get high because she just lost her mom like these types of ones how did these athletes not have people at their disposal even while they're trying to qualify for the olympics like us track and field like why do we not have more people at their disposal to help them when they're going through this to help educate them on like the rules if she didn't know or maybe she did know but give her another outlet like to deal with all this stuff like how is this in 2021 still an issue and now she doesn't she didn't make the team now she doesn't get to go to the olympics and it's like now tons of people are boycotting and it's like all of that has to do with her mental health and it's like what yeah i the uh i don't know if this just came out but i was it just popped up on my feed it says one of the um australian basketball women's players just withdrew from the olympics because of mental health this it says it was posted like 20 minutes ago um that's liz and, right liz Cambridge. yeah okay so so you, you guys are was that the one oh. from like two days ago yeah yeah okay a couple yeah. days ago so, yeah and it's it's an interesting um situation because it sounds like something happened internally with the t- with a teammate yeah during a closed door scrimmage with Nigeria. And, um, and, and so I, I don't think we know the details of that, but, um, you know, she is, she is one of the best bat women's basketball players in the world. She plays for Australia and she's one of the best top WNBA players. Um, and for whatever happened, you know, I'm not excusing her behavior, but she, you know, again, had she been given some tools to, to, to help manage whatever she was feeling um, that led to this explosive moment with a teammate, um, maybe that wouldn't have happened or maybe, you know, it would have happened in a different way. It's also something that's really, I, you know, as female athletes have had more access to, to sport and higher levels, you know, um, the growth of sports in various ways and professional um, opportunities, um, you know, we've seen on the men's side for so long, they've been catered to their whole lives and, and just given kind of whatever they want and not given maybe these tools. And so I wonder sometimes about these, cause she's what, mid twenties, maybe late twenties. Um, yeah, I'd say so. you know, she's, you know, she's been in the league, I think for, for a handful of years now, but you know, I also wonder about that generation. Like they were, these opportunities were given and, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you never get this like sort of pause and t- think about like mm-hmm. how you're actually doing, you know, because it's, and also as women, like, okay, I'm given this opportunity. I have to take it. And like, but maybe this isn't the best choice in this moment, or maybe you need to look at it from this perspective or just someone right. there to like have a conversation about, because they're sort of paving this new era or they they're the benefit especially of a lot of the title niners who went through it just grinding being like yes we got this yes we got new uniforms like we're not just using hand-me-downs or whatever right. it is, you know so i think that that's also a um unique or, or a, a new thing for this era of athlete especially the female athlete who who now has had more access of course we still need more and things like that but it's just uh I, anyway i i was just thinking about that particularly in in regards to liz because like i said i don't we don't know all the all sides of that particular situation and she withdrew um after this happened and and was citing mental stuff which i'm sure is part of which is yeah. part of it but just how that 
either could have been prevented or um talked about earlier yeah talked about she could have you know or if that was she wasn't even like no one ever thought of it because oh she's just so good like yeah good you know she doesn't need that or I don't know you know I'm I'm, I mean she's she's quoted saying that it's the bubble so again yeah PR wise again we don't really know the full story but I think what her comments are is a lot of what the um, NBA players were saying. I mean, LeBron James and a couple of other guys came out saying the bubble was, they will never do it again. They're like, absolutely not. And um, she said, okay, I've been worried about heading into a bubble Olympics, no family, no friends, no fans, no support system outside of my team. It's honestly terrifying for me. The past month I've been having panic attacks, not sleeping and not eating. So, I mean, you know, hearing again, um, what the guys from the NBA felt, maybe, maybe it's because it's a smaller team. I don't know. There's not as many players on a basketball team that kind of creates, there's a less of a support system than 22 girls, you know, that you're with. I don't know. Again, I, I'm not so, so like uh, verse, well-versed on the basketball, like squad size, but I think it's interesting um, kind of relating the basketball players have not enjoyed the bubble at all whatsoever they would never do it in a million years i think someone i I can't remember who it was but um a big time player on the in the nba as well as lebron so and now she's coming out and saying the same thing so you know lots of things to kind of consider yeah this will be very interesting going forward the olympics start this week i believe uh the women's national team starts july 21st wednesday they play sweden um, are you guys planning to wake up in the middle of the night to watch these games? Because here on the West Coast, we are at, what, 1 a.m. game? <laughs> uh, uh, just up. I mean, Merce is up at that time anyway. All right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's at 1.30. Yeah, it's at 1.30 in the morning um, for for us on the West Coast, 4.30 on the East Coast. But that's yeah, what, that's that's what you know, DVR is for. So. I know. The hard thing is going to be avoiding no yes. you know, learning because of social media but it's gonna be I'm gonna like schedule our i'm gonna have yeah. to schedule our posts because i wake up and and do all the posts in the morning i can't even look at it yeah. <laughs> i don't wake up in the middle of the night so we'll see um well yeah definitely should be interesting thank you guys for your thoughts on all of this and um i'm sure we'll have more to update maybe next week we'll do another one of these as we have had two games under our belt by then see how it goes so thank you for your time ladies Lovely. Thank you. Thank you.